Well, good morning. You know, um, I had a, a revelation today after being here for almost seven years. I finally realized that Renee is the, the best preacher in the whole building. Um, what, it, what it takes me maybe 15, 20 minutes, takes Barry about an hour to say, it <laughs> takes her two minutes and to a much tougher crowd. So, um, But Barry's been doing a series, um, and he, he started this series on Acts as we walk through Acts um, with Barry, and I wanted to tie in um, this morning on, on the invitation, the evangelism aspect of what he hit on last week. He talked about um, Peter and his, his method of evangelism, and then he laid out for us um, some of the styles that, that people use today, um, whether it's invitation or confrontation or whatever that looks like. How do we invite? How are we spreading the good news? And so as we look at Acts, um, this morning we're going we're gonna to stop, we're going to look at John, and then next week he'll be back. But what, is, what does that word evangelism even mean? The root word for evangelism is euangelion, and most of our students have heard this before. But the, the Greek word is euangelion, all right? And that word literally means good news or good message. And that word came from times of war. When villages or tribes would be at war with one another, they would send messengers outside of the battle to stand on either hill. And all the guys would get their armor, and they would go down, and they would fight. And when you started to see whether the battle was won or lost, the messengers would then run. They would head straight back to whatever town or village they came from to share the news. If you were on the losing side, it wasn't Galeon. It was, we've lost, get out. It's over. We've lost the battle, and they're coming here next. Because everything that was ours is now theirs because they've won the battle. But if you've won the battle, if victory is yours, your messenger would run back into town screaming, You Galeon, good news! Good news! We've won! We're victorious. And so as we look at evangelism last week, let's look at a few examples of the good news this morning. So in our scripture, we see some of the first people to ever spread that good news. You've got John the baptizer, who is the first evangelist. He's the first guy in scripture that we say, that we see, he says, truly, that's the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. That's John. He's the first guy that says, good news, you and Galeon. This guy, man, the gospel tells us he's that messenger. He's the guy that says, make, make a way. He's the voice in the wilderness it says, make your path straight, Jesus is coming. All four Gospels say the same thing, he's an important character. But this guy was a little strange. John lived in the desert. He dressed like a student minister. He wore camel hair, didn't have a tie on all the time. We don't eat bugs, but, you know, we've been known to play some gross games, right, George? Um, this dude ate locusts, really big grasshoppers lived in the desert, in the wilderness. But verse 36, verse 36 tells us that John, sorry, verse uh, 35 tells us that he and his disciples are hanging out in town. So not only was John strange, but he had people that were willing to follow him. So who's more strange, the guy that wears camel hair and eats bugs or the guys that go, man, we want to learn from him. But he's sitting there in town, he's standing with his disciples, and Jesus walks by. And verse 36 says, he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. B 
behold the Lamb of God. And you can picture that in your mind, that Jesus walks by and John just goes, there he is. And that's, that's the one you've been waiting for. Centuries, generations of people have memorized prophecy after prophecy, and there he is. He's here. This was a huge statement. Just several verses before that, the day before, actually, Jesus walks by and John again says, Behold the Lamb of God, only the first time he adds, This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then he says in verse 34, This is the Son of God. Man, that's a, that's a big statement. That's blaspheme according to the Pharisees. That's punishable by death. And he stands there and says, he takes away the sins of the world. In the Jewish world, only one person could take away sins, and that was God and God alone. And John knows full well that's God in the flesh. And so he points to Jesus. And so he's bringing the good news, and he says, there he is. And so for us this morning, what can we learn from John? And he literally points people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, I'm not telling you to get your framed picture of Jesus and like walk into school or work and stand up on a table and be like, Behold the Lamb of God. People would think you're really strange. But do our lives point others to Jesus? Do your actions point to Christ? The way we live, does the way we live show others Christ? And maybe it's really hard to have, you know, a really bold approach, but with your friends, do you bring up Jesus and what he's done for you? Because make no mistake, people are watching. People are watching and they're seeing how we live. They're saying we're under scrutiny. And if you don't think people are watching, when I was 18 months old on a plane, I'm not sure if I've shared this with you, but my mom will be in the next service and she's probably going to be very mad that I'm sharing this. We're, we're, we're on a plane headed back. We used to live in California, headed back to Tennessee and I'm 18 months old, sitting up front with my mom, and my dad's like a few rows back, and I knock a Coke over in my lap, um, and I stand up on the plane, and I scream, dang it, dang it, dang it. But it was the vulgar version. <laughs> and my mom is like, <gasps> like mortified, and my dad's in the back like, whose kid is that? <laughs> uh. True story. All right, yes, 18 months old. I used it in context. Way to go, me. But here's the thing. My mom says, where in the world did you learn that? Oh, Miss Donna, my babysitter. Miss Donna was no longer my babysitter. <laughs> the point being, I was 18 months old and I picked that up. Just because I was around her, just because I heard what she was doing, I saw how she was living. And for us, maybe it's not, behold the Lamb of God, but how are we living our lives? Like John, are we pointing? Are we spreading the good news? Do our lives scream, you ain't Galeon. The good news is here. The Lamb of God is here. Secondly from John, there's a sense of urgency. Every day, John is living in the desert, preaching the gospel, saying, Jesus is coming. I hope you guys are ready. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes we, we, we don't have that same urgency. We live in a broken world, and there's no doubt about it that our world needs Jesus. There's no doubt. And so as we move down, verse 37 through 42, the two disciples heard, heard John say this, so they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them, and he said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. 
So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day for it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So two of John's disciples, two guys that are learning from the camel-haired bug eater, two guys that are learning from him, hear him say, that's the Messiah, and they say, see you later, John, we're following him. And they go and they follow Jesus and Jesus' invitation to them, come and see, come and you will see. And so what do they do? They go in and they spend the day with Jesus. And if you want to get fired up about evangelism and you want to spread the good news, spend time with Jesus. It's so simple. Andrew just hangs out with Jesus for the afternoon and then what does he do? The very first thing, it literally says in the scripture, he first went and found his brother. When you spend time with Jesus, the first thing you want to do is you want to let other people know how good he is, how awesome he is. So for evangelism, man, just spend time with Jesus. If you're like, man, I'm, I don't know, go lock yourself in a closet or something. Open the word, drop to your knees. Say, Jesus, I just want some time, you and me. Because it is, he's God in the flesh and he wants a relationship with us. There's not much better than that. But when we, spend, when we spend time with him, amazing things happen. We can't wait to share how good he is, what he's done. That's the same thing that happens with Andrew. He spends the day with him, and then all of a sudden he's like, man, I got to tell Peter. Man, I got to tell Peter. He runs and tells Peter. Now, I don't know about y'all, but he must have loved his brother a whole lot because my older brother is probably not the first person I would have gone to. Um, I love my brother, but I probably would have gone to like Abby or someone a little closer. Um, and so he runs. And this was a huge deal. First century Jews who spent their lives memorizing the Torah and Scripture. And Andrew walks up to his brother and says, We found the Messiah. Now, we as 21st century Gentiles can't quite wrap our heads around how big of a statement that was. Almost a thousand years. Isaiah's prophecies were written about 800 B.C. For generation after generation after generation, they'd been memorizing and reading scriptures and awaiting God's chosen Messiah. And in walks your younger brother one day and says, Hey, Peter, that guy that we've learned about our entire lives, I just hung out with him for a whole afternoon. If I was an older brother, I'd be like, slam the door, liar, get out of here. But what does Peter do? All right, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And so Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and what do we notice? When we encounter Jesus, we're changed. When Peter encounters Jesus, he's no longer Simon, but his name is Cephas. His name is Peter. Jesus changes his name, and if you know anything about the story of Peter, he changes his heart. Peter's the first disciple to proclaim belief in him as the Messiah, the, the one that says, you're the son of God, and so Peter is changed. And that's the same for us. When we encounter Jesus, we can't help but repent. We can't help but see the ugliness that we have inside and say, Jesus, it's yours. Change me for the better. Sanctify me, for I am yours. Because with the good news comes change. And I know we don't all like change. Change is not the nicest thing for a lot of us. But it's the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up. 
Because if you know the story of Peter, you know that dude couldn't do anything correct. Just after he professes God as Savior, or Jesus as Savior, like two verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter always puts his foot in the mouth, but he messes up. But there's grace. That's the beauty of it. There's grace. Lastly, we look at Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus goes to Philip, and I love it. He literally says two words, follow me. Man, Jesus just walks up and says, come on, follow me. So Philip does. We know his response because he immediately says, oh, I've encountered Jesus. I've got to tell somebody. I've got to bring the good news. He goes to Nathaniel, and he says the same thing that Andrew said, except a little different. We found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I kind of wonder here, if Philip and Nathaniel were so close, Philip probably knew what Nathaniel was going to say. Why didn't he just do what Andrew did and say, hey, we found the Messiah? He had to throw Nazareth in there. And Nathaniel's the skeptic, so Nathaniel says what? He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? All right, so I'm a Tennessee fan. That's like somebody walking up to me and saying, Corey, we found the Messiah, Savior of the world. He came from Tuscaloosa. I'd be like, can anything other than a decent football team really come from Tuscaloosa? Like, maybe even Gainesville, you know. I'm, I'm a Tennessee fan. But Philip says to him, he doesn't argue. He doesn't say, no, Philip, roll tide. He says, Nathaniel, just come and see. He didn't engage him. He didn't debate him. It wasn't a big deal. He just said, just come and see. See for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And what happens? Nathaniel comes. Verse 47 through 50, Nathaniel comes to see Jesus. And Jesus says, behold, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He looks at Nathaniel and says, you're a good dude. And Nathaniel after he questions Philip, he questions Jesus, all right? Nathaniel literally walks up. Jesus says, hey, you're a good kosher Israelite, and you're, you're not a liar. You're doing, good. you're doing the right things. And Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? Like, Nathaniel's a skeptic. He's like, how do you know me? He questions Jesus. But Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree even before Philip came to you. Even before Philip came and spread the word of me, I knew you. Man, Nathaniel says, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And it's kind of funny, in the last verse this morning, it's almost as though Jesus is like, well, that was really easy. Because he's like, really, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Like, that was it? That's what convinced you? Then he tells him, you'll see even greater things than these. So what can we learn from Philip and Nathaniel? Sometimes... We're, we're afraid to, to spread the word because we're afraid somebody's going to ask us a question about our faith that maybe we don't have the answer to. Maybe somebody's going to look down on us for that. And the beauty of this exchange is Nathaniel questions Philip, and Philip doesn't get into some big debate and have to have all the answers. He just says, man, just come and see. Just come and see. You don't have to have all the answers to invite somebody to experience Jesus. And then Philip doesn't convince Nathaniel. If you read the scripture again, Philip just invites, and it's Jesus who convinces Nathaniel who he is. We're saying this morning that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And the, one of my favorite quotes is that you don't have to defend a lion, you just have to open the cage. Jesus will convince. 
But it's our job to get the message out there. It's our job to evangelize, to bring the good news. And so as we see in John, he points people to Jesus. And we see Andrew who spends time with Jesus. And because of that, he wants to spread the word. And we see Peter who's changed. And this exchange between Philip and Nathaniel. Philip just invites. He doesn't have to have all the answers. And Jesus will convince. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's tasked us with going and spreading the word. Plant the seeds. Pray. Live a life for him. But if you're being diligent in that, Jesus will convince people that he is who he says he is. And the beauty of all of these is Jesus invites every single one of them. Jesus doesn't say, ah, no, you're not quite good enough. Jesus doesn't say, no, I don't like your hair color. Jesus says, you're welcome. Come follow me. Come be a part of this. And so, this morning as we celebrate communion, we celebrate with an open table. Just as Jesus invited all those people, said the good news is for all of you. This morning we celebrated with an open table. And I want to share a story with you as we celebrate at an open table. There's a, there's a woman named Sarah, and she was an atheist war reporter. So she's a journalist, and she was an atheist. And one morning she's walking through her town, um, walking downtown, and she, she passes by a church. And she sees um, that the doors are open, and she says, well, since I'm a journalist... I'm just intrigued, and I want to see what's going on. Never been to church before, but I'm going to go sit in the back row, see what it's like. Uh, so she pops in. She sits. She says, the music's nice. You know, they read some scripture. There's pretty colors. And um, she said, then the pastor gets up and says, we're going to have communion. And this is the Lord's table. It's not my table. It's not anybody else's table. It's the Lord's table, and all, all are welcome. Um, and she's like, oh, I don't really know how, to, how I feel about that. And the pastor kind of says, you need to come down here and receive. So she walks down, and she takes the bread, and she drinks the wine, and um, she says, I realized two things. That I had just eaten ordinary bread, but the second thing I realized is that God was alive. She said, I walked back to my seat, and I started to sob. And then I ran out of the back of the church because I didn't want to talk to any Christians. It's a true story. This is what she said. She said, but then the next week, I was like, huh, they're having services. Maybe I should go again. She came back, and the week after that, and the week after that. Now she works at that church. And she started several food pantries in her own city to feed the hungry and the needy. And this all started because she was invited to an open table. And just as we look at our scriptures this morning, Jesus, he walks and he says, come and you will see Philip says, Nathaniel, come and see. Christ says, this is my table. And it's open for each and every one of you. And so this morning as we celebrate communion, I ask that you guys turn in your hymnals to page 13. <laughs> 